get on some big bucks today. Mm-hmm. Or I'll get on a track big bucks and they work out today. Welcome to another episode of the Adirondack Bucks and Beyond podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Stagger Gear. If you haven't yet, make sure you head on over to the Stagger Gear website where you'll find everything from their wool tracker jacket, their Apex Merino base layers, and even their 100% rag wool gloves and much more. Everything you need to keep you dry, warm, and comfortable for a long day's adventure in the woods. Be sure to enter our promo code ABB with any purchase made on the Stagger Gear website to get 10% off your order. That's promo code ABB for 10% off your order all at www.staggergear.com. Hey guys, welcome back to the Adirondack Bucks and Beyond podcast. Today it is Adam, myself, Corey, our buddy Joel Aubrey, and our guest Paul Patera. Um, Paul, why don't you uh, kind of go ahead and just give us a little background of yourself, kind of where you grew up hunting, and, and we'll go from there. Yeah, so I, I grew up in, uh, I was born in New Jersey, and then I grew up going up in the Adirondacks all summer and during the hunting season with my father and my family and stuff for years. So I, I kind of got a lot of roots up there, learned how to hunt and stuff like that. And then I hunt a lot around here, of course. Where, where and, is that? Uh, Northern New Jersey. I, I live. Okay. Yep. So Paul, when you say Adirondacks, this is Joel talking. Did, have you hunted around like both the high peaks and the Southern Adirondacks? Just for our listeners, got you know, guys, obviously a massive park. So there's different, yeah. different parts of the Adirondacks. You don't have to say exactly where, but just yeah, no, I, I've I've hunted from the southern southern sections, and I've hunted all the way up on the northern parts of it too. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. Corey, what did you you wanted to start in with the um, hubs? Yeah, so I mean, we were sitting here talking before we actually got on the phone with you about how you are big on keying in on hubs. So when I first started finding some of your content, Paul, where you were talking with other guys, you and Shane Parker, I mean, you guys that preach these thermal hubs, and you know, Shane talks about east and west facing hubs. You talk about northern facing hubs. When you yep. guys are, are talking about these thermal hubs, can you just, for our listeners, define what you're talking about? Well, I'm, I'm looking for, like, like you're going to have, like, a, a series of drainages and stuff like that on a mountain. And dropping off of these drainages, you'll have fans dropping into those, and you'll get, like, these these landings, you know, where all all the dropping thermals all kind of merge and land into the same area you know and that's that's what i'm i'm really focusing on when i'm looking for a thermal hub you know and that's that's typically where you're going to find a lot of like clusters of scrapes and stuff like that or you're going to find like uh you'll find a bunch of like rubs and stuff down in that like landing area it's basically all the bucks higher up in elevation are bedding up higher and they're dropping down into these certain points like that. Yeah. In the, in the evenings, correct. To catch the thermals as they're starting to drop. Yeah. Yeah. 
and then they'll go from that they'll go from the hubs back up to the bedding in the mornings too yeah and you've mentioned before i've heard you on other podcasts and i've i've seen this as well is that in the in the mornings they they kind of stage their way up correct so they'll bed a little yeah. bit lower and then especially in these these high mounds that, and that's one thing we've appreciated about you is you know you a lot of guys you know talk hill country uh mm-hmm. jake jake bush is always keying in on hubs and some of his podcasts and stuff um yeah but yeah, their, their uh their stuff is little yeah the, their hills are little you know my yeah. average hike i mean i i i I get 2000 foot of elevation a lot of days, you know? Um, yeah. It's funny you say that because that's what we were just talking about prior to yeah. this conversation it's, here is the difference in elevation and what's applicable to each different type of elevation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're hunting stuff between PA and New Jersey and you know, the cat skills or wherever else you hunt that are pretty high in elevation. Correct. Yeah. So yeah. They're not as high as the peaks up in the Adirondacks, but they're a lot higher than like hills and down in like the, south you know mm-hmm. like right right ohio and stuff like that but it's it's all the same concept it's just different levels of size you know so like if you're in ohio your drainage systems and your hubs are going to be just the distance you can shoot across with a bow a lot of times mm-hmm. you know super tight but it's the same concept the deer are just not moving as far you know and then, and then, like up where you guys are, you're you're talking. I mean, some of your drainages just could be mile wide, you know. Yeah, and, and they definitely are. A lot of our drainages are just completely vast. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, we do get a lot of drainages too in certain areas that are more narrow. Um, but we, I also seem to notice that we have a lot of diversity in terrain in comparison to a lot of places where it tends to be monotonous. Um, yeah. And uh, like some of the stuff I think, you know, and I won't mention any specifics, but, you know, some of the stuff I'd sent you earlier in the week, I think there's a lot more diversity Mm -hmm. as far as when it comes to choosing areas to hunt based off of, you know, different directions the drainages are running and where they're intersecting, you know, versus some of the stuff in other states, uh, maybe Mm -hmm. even Ohio. Not that I have the experience there, but just from looking at maps. Yeah. Well, the the stuff I hunt around, around Jersey, Pennsylvania... You know, that's very similar to what, what you were showing me on the yeah. maps. Yes. Know? So in the southern Adirondacks, kind of as what we would call southern or eastern Adirondacks, you know, we've got probably most of our hikes start at anywhere from four 400 feet to eight or 900 feet and end yep. up, we end up 20, you know, 2,000 to 2,500. Um, yep. You know, once you get into the high peaks, that's where you get a lot of the, the you know, Bruce tops and just all green or even bald, bald tops up high, you know, um, it's yep. just total, totally different, you know, dynamic up yeah. there. Yep. Yeah, I know. And then the, the one, the mountains I like up there are the ones with all the, uh, the pine on top. Mm-hmm. They're the ones I focus in on. And what is it about those, Paul, that you yeah. key in on those for? It's, it's just, I think it's a, it's like a better cover for, for a mature buck. You know, they they like that darker woods. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so true, yeah. and that's that's what we're finding year in yep. and year out in all these places where we're encountering these big boxes. There always seems to be a correlation with the darker timber, the cooler timber. You know, and they're very moist areas. You know, I, it was something you and I talked about the other day, particularly with uh, the the 
diverse habitat portion of areas that aren't logged. You know, you're talking about areas where there's a lot of deadfalls and there's some dead trees. Well, I tend to find those in the areas where there's a lot of hemlock, spruce, and mm-hmm. pine and that sort of cover. Um, yep. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree on that. Is that what you're seeing in PA and New Jersey as well, or is that specific to the Adirondacks? No, that's 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 Jersey and PA as well. Yep. Interesting. Very interesting. What about yep. the Catskills? The only difference I have is I don't really you don't you guys don't get much for rhododendron up there. No, no, we not. don't have the rhododendron. You know, but that I get a lot of rhododendron. Yeah. On like my north northern slopes and northwestern sides and stuff, I get a lot of rhododendron growth. We'll get a lot of the striped maple, um, just you know, cluster ju- beach, jewel weed around yes. the marsh. You know, they're munching that yeah. like crazy right now. Um, yeah, and the security cover in those areas tends to be the cluster spruce and hemlock that are like Christmas tree size. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the security cover up around us, which I would say is comparable to the rhododendron that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the bucks like that overhead cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they'll, you'll, if you find a bed, it's almost always under like a, a hemlock oh, yeah. or something. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of times you can pick those out from imagery. <laughs> yeah. Even, even if it's like more open hardwoods and stuff, you see a hemlock oh, on yeah. a, a ridge or something that looks good. You got to go yep. walk over and check it because you never know what's going to be underneath it. Yeah. So getting back to, I want to get back to your roots a little bit. So you grew up hunting or spending time at least in the Adirondacks with your, and that was with yeah, your, my, that was with your father, correct? Yeah. My, my father was really big on hunting up there in the Adirondacks. I mean, he's been hunting up there since oof, probably the sixties. Oh, wow. You know, so he was hunting up there for years I and mean, he shot a lot of big bucks up there. So I, I learned a lot from him because that's, you know, that's where he wanted to go when he wanted to go hunting, you know, so I get, a, I got a lot from him and I'm following him around scouting and all sorts of stuff. Now, what kind of, what kind of hunting were you doing? Was, is he tracking up there? Is he sitting still hunting? What, what kind of hunting was he doing? He, he did a whole mixture of it. He did everything, you know, yeah. he, he could track deer and, you know, he knew when to sit. You know, if he found a place that he, he should be sitting instead of running around, he'll sit on it, you know. So whatever puts him in the, you know, Whatever he's got to do. Yeah. He had a lot of tools in the tool belt. And what was you know, he, he keying on? He killed a lot of deer between, like, he killed them in the late season, and he's also killed a lot of deer early season in the Adirondacks, like opening week and all sorts of stuff. Really? In that yeah, muzzleloader season or with a bow? That that was with the uh the just the opening of the, the rifle. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. They the the, the muzzle loaders they had back then weren't good enough to always get you a deer. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. That's totally understandable. Now were you guys hunting, you know, as individuals or you know, you and him or were there a group of guys that were, were hunting an area? Uh, how did that yeah, work? We we usually had a we usually had groups, you know, it's maybe like four or five guys we would go with, you know, and we, a lot of times we would, we would go in uh, more like remote tent camps and stuff like that. Oh, you know, so awesome. we'd go in, we'd go in early in like October and bring all the tents back and do all that kind of stuff and kind of figure out where we're going to set up camp and then scout. And That's work awesome. From- That's awesome. Oh, we love that stuff. That is awesome, man. I've, 
that I love hearing stories about that. And maybe even you know, a little bit later in this podcast, we can get into some cool stories that you have from your childhood there. But I want to talk about, before I forget about it, the whole group hunting thing, because you and I were having a separate conversation the other day and, you know, our group here that we're sitting with, and then, you know, some other buddies as well that are involved, we really want to key in on, um, enhancing our ability as a, as a group to find success. And what we see with other groups is that there's a lot of guys that have it figured out in one way, shape or form. What have you seen as, you know, from your experiences in the Adirondacks and in both PA, New Jersey and, and lower New York, from hunting with a group and not necessarily drives but even just still hunting or tracking whatever the case may be yeah we we always just kind of we always kind of played off each other you know like if you got one guy going up high you're gonna put a bunch of guys down off fingers and stuff and it's a possible like escape routes you know coming off of that mountain you know so that way if something did get knocked off the top you get somebody gets a crack at it at the bottom, you know. So you try to try to be strategic like that when you set up things. So you'd have you'd have one still hunter, and then you'd have a bunch of standers, you know, just kind of watching certain certain pieces. So it's kind of like a drive aspect, almost in a way. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's it's a drive. It's just it, you can't drive like it's too big and vast up there to just make like a, a line drive, you know. Right. You know, it's almost impossible. They're just going to, you're going to have deer getting out the sides and squirting between people and, you know, so like you're, you're better off almost just kind of surrounding a feature and doing like little small pushes. Like, you know, on the certain knob or something, just surround it and then push one, put one guy up there to try to jump him out of the bed or something. So you're keying in on one specific area, you know, and whether that may be from scouting or, or you know, yeah. something you saw and then you're saturating that area with a group of guys. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, like we always remembered beds and stuff we found and we knew where a lot of the big bucks were bedding up there, you know? So if we find a big bed we take a note of that and then we just go up and try to kick them off the bed one day, you know? Hmm. So it's, it's really just as specific as finding, you know, something worthwhile to go back to, whether that be a bed or the sign and, and King. Yeah. Yeah, and you just you kind of learn it. Like if you get time tracking in the snow and stuff, you learn how they're moving through an area, and you can just kind of, you just kind of build off of it and just keep working a certain area for several years, and you really get a grasp on what the what you got to do to kill one. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, we're finding too. Like we've tried the whole you know smaller groups hunting together, or um, you know individuals working a hillside just in a kind of general area, and we don't have the success doing those kind of things. We don't have the success using those tactics. So moving forward, like I think what you're saying, being more specific and keying in on, on areas that we know big bucks are hanging out in as a group, my hope is that we're going to find more success Mm -hmm. doing just that. Yeah. And that's, that's like the, most of it, like to be successful, I mean, you're scouting, if you're hunting one day, you should be scouting three or four days. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, right. Like okay, to, more scouting than hunting is really necessary, especially if you want to shoot something big. You know, I, I scout year round. You know, I, not, I never stop. I'm always out doing something. If, even if I'm not scouting for deer, I'm fishing or something. 
and putting myself in places where I could possibly see the herd pick up sign, you know? Well, that kind of leads into what I, I want to talk about next. You, I think, have a very unique way of scouting. Not that it's necessarily something that other people don't do. It's just you're doing it with your bow most of the time. You know, and I'm, what I'm referring to is this bare ground tracking that you do. And I know a lot yeah. of it is season-specific. You know, it, you're going into areas during the actual deer season, finding the track you want, following it back to wherever it may be. But you also use that tactic throughout the year. Yeah. And can you get a little bit more specific as to what you're looking for and how you're doing this bear ground tracking and getting into these areas and killing the bucks that you do? Yeah, well, it it all comes back to like like it's just like something you're exercising it, you know, like like I I'll even when I'm not hunting, if I get snow or something late season after the because because when by the time we get snow around here, we don't have much for hunting opportunities you know mm-hmm. so but i can still track you around and learn you know and you're you're, you're going to be you're learning from tracking on snow and stuff and then you're also reflecting that onto the track when you're tracking without the snow because the deer do it in the same kind of stuff you know what i mean like they're still doing that they still have the same kind of travel you just can't see the track and I so think that's where, like, we actually, you know, have kind of the upper hand in that situation where we are getting yeah. snow during the mm-hmm. during the deer season. At some point or another, just about everywhere within the Adirondack Park is getting snow. So we are fortunate to learn in season exactly what a lot of these deer are doing. Yep, and that's I always tell everybody that hunts around here. I'm like, man, you have to go up north and experience mm-hmm. tracking deer in the snow and follow them around. When you follow a big buck around a couple times you really start to things start to click you know you're like okay because they're not the same animal as a younger deer you know no absolutely not they do do everything different and yeah we do have the added challenge that a lot of you know places the further north you get the adirondacks a lot of times they'll yard up because the snow gets so deep that you can pretty much scratch off anything you find you know at that point other than the the sheds that you might find in a yard that that tell you that yep. somewhere 30 miles from here was a big boy but i think also you know the even in the southern adirondacks sometimes you know this year i wasn't able to get out to a lot of my spots till may because there was two so and a half snow. three feet of too snow. much yeah. yeah it was just yeah. so much snow. yeah there's a window between <laughs> you know like the middle of deer season when the snow starts flying and then the tail end where yeah the, the blessing with the snow, snow though the blessing of that is once it does melt, it's like a time capsule. Yeah, everything's preserved. Yeah, right. Everything's there. So, like, as soon as they, as soon as you can start walking around, you could get out there and really, really dial in on stuff. You know, yeah. and that's that's a, a lot of it. A lot of it. I'm I'm just learning where to where to go and like because when you're following a track without snow, you're really trusting your gut on a lot of things. Mm. You know, and it's just years and years of scouting that tell you you're going to be in the right place for the next move you got to make, you know? Yeah, I was just going to add, Paul, like, so so when we get on snow, you know, we we find a track and we start following that deer and, you know, it's kind of self-explanatory, self-explanatory, the whole tracking thing on snow. But is there any way you could kind of break down, like, you find the track on bare ground 
what are you like? What yeah. are you doing? Are, are you following? Are you like trying to follow that track specifically? Or are you headed to an area where you think that that buck would probably be hanging out it's, or traveling? It's it's a really it's a combination of both, you know, okay. you know. So like, I'll, I'll pick up a big like track off the road or something, you know. I'll be driving a road or something over here, and I'll pick a big track up in a in a crossing. You know, and I'll, I'll be like, okay, this is this is a fairly fresh track, you know. And then I, I'm going to look at the direction, and I'm I'm going to be pulling up maps a lot of times, and be like, what what is this deer doing? Like, where's he where's he headed? You know, and like, okay, he's probably going to cut up this area here. This section here is going to be ledged out, so he's going to want to probably cut up through this this gap gap in the bluffs or something, you know, and then you're going to charge up there and then you're going to work that again. You're going to, you're just, you're looking for the most subtle little clues. It's really tough to do, but I mean, it, it's doable. Right. You know, you're, just, you're moving incredibly slow. You can't catch up to them. So they got to be bedded down, you know? And now are you referencing these hubs that you, that you talk about? Are you referencing those as well as you're, while you're trying to locate that deer, I suppose? Yeah, that's that's what I'm doing a lot because like you figure when when you don't have snow too, it's it's like you're kind of like that pre-rut stage, you know, they're making scrapes but they're not really like seeking seeking does earlier in the year. You know, cuz I I kill a lot of my deer like end of October like first week in November. Gotcha. You know, that mm, like before right, right, everything turns up. Yeah, so it's like they're they're getting antsy, but they're still living in their cores. You know what I mean? So yeah. they're still they're still in their established territory. So it kind of narrows it down to where they're going to be when you're kind of working around trying to figure them out. I think that's what all of us would like to dial in on because we we don't a lot of times get snow. Yeah. Early mid October, late October, we have that we have that early October muzzleloader season which is like the 14th to the 22nd ish which is yep. just if you know and then you have the next week after that you know is the opener of rifle we'd love to yep. be able to really dial into the core area of these yep. giants and that's and that's when i've been in the adirondacks i've gone up for that early muzzleloader yeah, yeah. many a times and that that is like i feel like that's so much easier to get on big bucks in that period than it is when they're really starting to seek because then because then they're just running miles you can't Mm -hmm. you can't catch up to them half the time you know but if they're like living in their their hub and working scrapes and stuff within their hub you have a lot better chance of getting close to one so you think they in that period of time they're more consistent as far Mm -hmm. as how you're able to find them yeah i definitely they're not they're not like totally because because usually they're going to hit the does within their core area first mm-hmm. before they start fanning out mm-hmm. you know so you, you if you know where all the doe groups are and stuff in those those little areas you really got something you can work on and that makes a lot of sense at least with my trail cameras and, and so joel's sitting here he runs a lot more cameras than us so he can probably speak better on this topic but at least from the cameras that i've ran up there I generally don't see a lot of these bigger bucks really fanning out until at least the middle of the month and a lot of the times the later yeah. and the tail end of November. They daylight. There's kind of almost a line that I've seen, you know, 
that you know farm country is hopping around here november you know october 30th to november mm-hmm. 14th and yep. then the 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 higher peaks you know those those fawns if they were you know those does if they were bred during the first couple of weeks in november they you know you might have some more issues with fawns being dropped before the snow's melted yep. so they're those bucks are running the 15th to the 22nd is where it seems like it's just i mean crazy right. and then some of the biggest bruisers i got on camera last year i mean it was the 25th 26th 27th yep. yeah they were daylighting which they may be trying to pick up the stragglers at that point but yeah um, if, if in that time of year you get like a cold snap that comes yeah, in or something yeah well it's it's yep. magic yep that's exactly what happened so you know one thing we were kind of chatting a little bit about before, and we've, we've, um, I was mowing the lawn maybe, I don't know, maybe three months ago, and you were talking with Dan Infall and Josh, I forget his last name, Tel- Telker, is that how you say it? Or, uh, Telker. Tel- Tel- yeah, you were on their podcast, and you were, I, I've used Cal Topo for years, but I had no idea about the sun exposure thing for, uh, yeah. for keying in on those uh, thermal hubs where they're dropping all the time. And and uh, anyways, I I was listening to you talk, and I I was like, because I didn't have the video going or whatever, and you started talking and pulling up, they're pulling up screens, and I was just like, hold on, I stopped mowing, went in the house, fired up my computer, and started listening, you know, watching the video, and I I just couldn't believe it. Um, how how sweet that was, and uh, I know I showed these guys, Corey and and Bailey, what you guys are talking about, and Adam seen it, and and uh, they've showed some guys. It's been freaky ever since. Yeah, I've been exposed and we've to been it. going back and looking at all mature buck encounters, and you know lining it up with, you know these these especially the northern facing uh, hubs, points, yep. drainages, the dark areas. Yep. And how you and, uh, can just find where places where thermals are dropping twenty four seven. So I, I just wondered if maybe on here you could just share, you know, what Cal Topo is, what you select, how, and what you're looking for. Yeah, well, well, Cal Cal Topo is an advantage. That's so, free. You can you can put it right on your phone, and it's completely free. And it, it basically it gives you all sorts of options for running for different different things going through the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, and they have a website too. You can go to caltopo.com yes. that desktop, you know, sorry, you cut out there for a second. You said it's an app, correct? Just so everyone listening can, can hear. Yeah. That. Yeah. There's an app you could download on your phone for yep. it. That's what I run it on. Yeah. Cause I, I don't even own a computer. So, uh, yeah, it, it really has been freaky ever since, you know, these guys kind of picked up on what you were talking about. And we've, we've ran into mm-hmm. a lot of people who either a, you know, know of big bucks using an area or have killed big bucks in a certain area. And, uh, I've been asking everybody I run into, I'm like, just pull us up on a Cal Topo map and we'll figure it. We'll see where this hub is compared to where you killed that buck or that buck is using that area. And yep. man, it is freaky. I mean, everybody I've talked to, I know a guy who shot 170 inch here, thermal hub. Another guy who was chasing another giant 150-inch or plus thermal hub. And it seems like it's just a pattern that keeps going on and on. It's and not even coincidental yeah. anymore yeah, to us. It's wild. Well, it's, it's the most advantage a buck can have for betting, you know. He, get, he, has, he has multiple points and multiple wind directions that it all works for him, you know. And it just... It everything lines up perfect, you know. And those those big deer, they they're like a bird dog, you know. They they mm-hmm. run they run that wind, you know. They want to so they they can be the most efficient in a place like that 
with their nose. Right. Where there's multiple yeah. different wind currents at any given yeah, they, time. They of the can day. get all sorts of different thermals and they could work at, at different elevations and follow the thermals up and down. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they have complete control over it. And that's you know, such a game changer for us, uh, not only with the bare ground stuff of putting us in the right areas, but when the snow does fly and we're out looking mm-hmm. for a track, it really narrows down when you take, you know, say a 20,000 acre piece of woods. Where yeah. am I going to look for that track when the snow hits yeah, down? Exactly. So, and especially in the Adirondacks, because you don't have the luxury of having roads to ride or anything. No, and, and we talked yeah. about that as well. Our roads are the hiking trails up here. Yeah. I yep. mean, it's with our two feet when we're Fred Flintstone in that throw. So, yeah, so basically but, on this app, what you were showing, Dan and Josh, I mean, you can just go and change the sun exposure you know, throughout yep. the day, you know, I want nine thirty. Okay, this is yep. where all this, yep. there's this where the sun's hitting. This is where it's shady all day yep. long. Um, and one of what we've seen is those areas that you just keep changing it throughout the day. Noon, one, two, three. There's spots where it's blue the entire yep. time, and it's like holy smokes. Yeah, you get um, that constant vacuum. Yeah. Have you seen that? Those a lot of times the the giants. Uh, you know, the biggest bucks are, are using the, the ones that are directly below hiking trails to smell the oh, action yeah. of people 24 seven. Yeah. They could, they could watch it. They can watch them walking all yeah. sorts of stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Is it sometimes the biggest bucks are not actually the, in the deepest areas Yeah, just because of that. They'll be yeah. closer up to where they can monitor yep. human traffic. Yeah. And, and so maybe I missed it. You said it earlier, you're finding that most of these mature bucks, because again, you, I think you said this multiple times on different podcasts, the mature bucks are the ones who truly use these thermal hubs, correct? That, you, yeah. that you've you're, seen. You'll have, you'll have other deer in them, you know, but the, the big bucks are, are going to prefer those areas because it's, it just keeps them alive. Right. You know, well, they have a lot of advantage in there. It's funny. Joel and I actually were up uh, scouting on one of the mountains we hunt, and uh, we had, you know, kind of pin, Joel had pinned this thermal hub, and uh, we had dropped down into it, and we, we get right down into the middle of it, and there's a big old scrape right down in the middle of it. And we're like, like five feet from the pin. Yeah. We're, we're like, <laughs> We've never oh. been there. We're like, well, yeah. I, don't th- I don't think this is yeah. a coincidence. So we started walking, walking out the ridge a little ways, and there was a little flat bench up above this scrape. And we're like, well, we'll J-hook up on this bench and, and just kind of see what's up there. Well, we J-hooked up on that bench, and I don't know, what was it, 150 yards from that scrape? Not looking even. Dr- directly 100. down at the scrape on the edge of that thermal hub was a big old buck bed staring right yep. down at the scrape. And I was like, this just this is making sense yep. now. And now if you find that during the season and you look up the hill, you're going to see his tail going. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. oh, oh, we've, we've gotten pretty used we to that. We went too far. Yeah, yeah, we see a lot of tails. Yeah, yeah. and that's 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 the hardest part when you get into those systems. You like, I, I try not. If I see a if I see a licking branch hanging or something, I freeze. Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm like expecting a buck to be looking at that scrape because a lot of times they do. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and that, that's that's how I killed some of those bigger mountain bucks that i killed i've killed because i saw that scrape and i stopped instead of getting busted i stopped and i mm-hmm. waited and I set up and he dropped down around dark and i, I took yep. him out as the know? as the thermals are shifting he's dropping down to smell what's below and 
Yeah. You got it. Yeah. So another thing I've seen, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this is, you know, you, especially in these higher elevations, you've got these massive drainages, right? And, yep. and, uh, sometimes there's like three of them and they're, you know, they're kind of coming up together. I, I found about three or four years ago, I found a, a signpost rub funneling around a marsh at the top of one of these drainages that faced east. And, yep. you know, so you get this drainage facing east and there's this marsh at the top of the drainage and it's maybe a mile to the bottom of this thing. Um, but the, I, I made a huge mock scrape next to the signpost to try to increase activity and I put a camera on it and I got crazy amount of daylight buck activity in the mornings cruising that signpost on the side of the marsh at the top of the drainage, you know, so you got a lot of compounding features, but anyways, yeah. I, I, I was thinking, man, you know, after listening to a lot of what you've been saying too, is they're, they're pull, catching that thermal right, the rising morning thermals yep. at the tops of the drainage. Have you seen that before? Like, you know, a lot of cruising yep. activity at the tops of yep. these drainages use- in the mornings. They'll use they'll use a rising thermal on those or a wind direction. Yep. Depending on where they are. Well, the and it's set up well because the predominant wind around here is south southwest. So I yep. feel like you know if they're traveling, they've got the east rising thermals in the morning, and they've got a south southwest wind. They're they've got three sixty. Yep, and that's I always found that the thermals are more critical for a mature deer than the wind direction itself because they're consistent. It's always consistent. Yeah. Yep. The game of odds. Yep. Yeah. They, they know if they go over there, they can use that thermal no matter what. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that wind might be swirled and blowing all over the place, but they got a thermal. Oh, yeah. That's one thing the wind always does in the mountains. We found it always mm-hmm. swirls. <laughs> and that is, that is yeah. the beautiful thing about all this stuff that, you know, you're talking about here, Paul, is specifically revolving around drainages and thermals is it narrows down so much of the land that we're exposed to. I mean, you have the PA wilds out there that you hunt. You have, you know, the places you hunt in New Jersey and the Catskills, but very similar. But the Adirondack Park is obviously an animal of its own in size. And just being able to take some of this information and just narrow it down and put us in the areas that we need to Mm -hmm. be is just, it's a game changer. It really is. Yeah, absolutely. It makes it so much easier to figure Mm -hmm. out where where you're going to find something. Yeah, and yeah. I, I have total faith in it too, you know, but based off of what we've seen just in the last few yeah. years. I mean, the, with the new mapping systems and all the technology available to us at this point, we're fortunate enough to have built up quite a quite an inventory of information over the last few years and yep. everything just makes sense. It all this is like the clicking point of all of it. Yeah, I had another question for you, Paul. You've you've hunted Adirondacks where there's mar- uh, swamps and marshes. I'm assuming, right? Yes. Yeah. So, I, I personally, I haven't done a ton in in some of the more marshy areas. I've kind of, I don't know, I stay out of the wet. But um, I, I do uh, do wonder with you know the drainages that drain down into the marshes. Um, yep. Have you like if you're looking at a big marsh? Um, you know, how would you use drainages coming into it to your advantage to be like, well, okay, that's where bucks are going to funnel to smell everything. Well, well, that's exactly what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but they're, they're a lot of times, like if they're betting in the swamps and marshes, yep, yep. they'll be betting where the drainage is going into it. Right. You know, 
and that that's that's their suction right there where they get all the vacuum from the the swamps pulling all that thermal down through that through that drainage and concentrating in one spot gotcha um, and then that's also where you're going to find the big signpost rubs and mm. the, you know you're going to find the the scrapes if there's scrapes you know your creek crossings and yep exactly yep now that's that's that big that big buck I killed in Pennsylvania was working stuff like that, you know. So, I, I guess my question is: Are you how are you hunting these thermal hubs? How are you going about hunting them? Like, are you accessing them at a at a certain time? Are you setting up at a certain part of these thermal hubs? Because you're mostly killing them with your bow, correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's so. What- Ninety-five percent yeah. of the time, and that's right. our advantage up here. We yeah, we, we always the, got the pop guns. We have, but we have the great equalizer. We'd love to graduate <laughs> to, to the big league someday. If, uh, uh, we all want to yeah. kill one with with our bows up in the Adirondacks. Yeah, so but, I, guess, I mean, we just don't have the experience at this point to be doing that consistently. I yeah. guess yeah. So but, I guess my question is just how are you kind of going about I, that's hunting like, these? That's what everybody says, but I think it's possible more than people believe up there. Because mm. I mean, I I walk into some spots up there, and I'm like, man. I know if I set up here, I kill a buck. Right. You know, you just you just get that feeling. You find one of those spots that are that good in the hub. You're like, man, I could kill one up here opening week with a bow if he's in here. Right. Yeah, we, we've kind of had that feeling before too in a couple spots. Yeah, that, we you know. definitely we have walked into plenty of areas where we're like, we should just throw something at it. I mean, the, the, mm-hmm. everything lines up, but I mean, we haven't. Yeah. You know, maybe. We and that that forward. time of year, that buck is like so much less cagey and stuff. Like it's you catch you can catch them completely off guard. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's yeah. definitely guys that are out there bow hunting in the Adirondacks, but it really is the anomaly. I mean, there's not many guys that are doing it. So the pressure, yeah. you know, and I, I assume that's what it's like where you hunt in PA, New Jersey. The pressure is just substantially less, especially come September 28th mm-hmm. or whatever it is that our season opens right around then. But there's, I mean, out west they do it. They shoot big bucks in the mountains out west like that. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And yeah. it, it's almost like, uh, you know, the it's because the tradition isn't there. It's almost like it, exactly. a, there's a huge tradition of gun hunting in the Adirondacks. Yeah, there's not many Troy Pottingers in the Adirondacks. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's exactly who I was thinking. That's a yeah. You know, yeah. great I example. To, I listen to him a lot. I'm like, man. I bet he could do the same thing in the Adirondacks. But, I bet he Except could. he doesn't have mountain lions. He <laughs> 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 has rattlesnakes instead. Yeah. Uh, so you've killed some dandies in the Catskills. Yep. Let's uh, let's hear a story of your best buck you killed from the Catskills. I'm I'm super curious. We've talked about hunting the Catskills quite a bit, so I, I would love to hear what you have to offer from that area. Well, I I got. I got a little little chunk of property up there that we have our old hunting camp at. And that's that's the area where I killed my biggest buck up there. Is uh I killed him not far from our hunting camp on uh on the public in a swamp. But that that deer I, I killed that deer, I was still ooh, I was young. I mean I think I was senior in high school when i killed that buck that was oh, a no swamp way. at the base of a mountain or up high it's it was it's it was a high altitude kind of swamp yep. higher up in the mountain yep. you know we our camp our camp was like probably i'm gonna say probably 
about half mile down the road from where where the swamp was you know and that we, we we had we always had big buck sign in this one corner of the corner over there and i'm like i told my dad i'm like i'm gonna go fucking find that deer i'm gonna kill him <laughs> he's like oh yeah yeah you know i i went out you know and i went out and i started started on my scout looking for him kind of following sign and stuff and I, I figured out where he was coming out of that swamp, and the following the following day was uh, the opening of rifle season up there, and that that's I, I I went over there and I figured out where that buck was bedded in that swamp. I set up right over it, and once the pressure kicked up, he got bumped right in, and he came right to me like noontime. So you, you know, shot him I, with your rifle. Yeah, that that was that. Well, actually, it was. Uh, yeah, it was. I shot him with a slug gun, but same same thing. Right, right. Yeah. Now I saw a picture of that buck, and for those listening, this thing's a giant. What did he weigh, yeah. Paul? That deer was probably right around, probably around two hundred twenty pounds. Oof, that was a big buck. Yeah, that's Boy. a good one. Dandy. <laughs> yeah. No, he, that he uh, he uh, scores uh, about one hundred forty four inches. Man, what yeah, a dan! I mean, I don't care where you are in New York State. That's a that's a giant oh, for yeah. New York. Yeah, yeah, big six and a half year old buck. That's um, awesome. That seems to be pretty consistent, though, with a lot of the bucks you're killing. Yeah, they're all around that two hundred pound mark, correct? Yes. Well, it's a lot easier to see a big track on a heavy deer in bare ground. You know. So you're using those bare ground tactics, taking the track, and then the outcome is that you're finding, you know, these 200-pound yep. deer would, in areas yeah. where really 200-pound deer are not common whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it, I think a lot of it just comes around to the fact that they're 200 pounds, so I can see a track on the ground Yeah, yeah. a lot easier. Yeah, you know? absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's a lot more noticeable. Yeah, is is there something like specifically that when you like you see a track, you say, okay, this is this is the one. Like, is it just the sheer size of it? Is there something that you use as like a measurement almost, or, or what is it? Yeah, I, I'm I'm always looking for four finger tracks, no matter where I go. Yeah, that's basically kind of same with snow, with with what people say is a four finger. Yeah, four finger. I, I, I like to, you know, I always try to find places where I can pick them up. I'll work. I'll walk like creek banks and stuff where I get mud. You know, mm-hmm. I, I try to try to stay in areas where I can pick up a track and I identify it and get a good, clean print, you know. So I'm always walking in places where I can do that to, to start one off. You it, know, it's so unique that that you do that, too, because there's not a lot of guys who, who can do that and say that they do that. Um, but how often are you finding that you can actually follow this buck through the leaves and, and, and dirt? After you pick it up in that creek it, or, or whatever, you, you need you need to get some kind of conditions. Like I, I like to strike out real early in the morning when you get a lot of moisture on the ground still and stuff, you know. Or you gotta you gotta get some precipitation, some rain or something to help, mm-hmm. you know, help you get a sharper print. You know, if it's if it's like dry popcorn, it gets difficult and it doesn't work so much. You know. And now, are you are you sneaking up on these bucks while they're in their bed, or or what? What's the deal? Are you usually catching them getting out of their bed? What what's how's that usually? What's, what's going on? Because what what I do is I I'm 
I'm following this sign and tracking them back like that, you know, and I, I have a tree saddle on my back usually. Okay. You know, or like a small stand or something. So I have the option to set up with a stand, but gotcha. But a lot, a lot of times what keeps happening to me is I'm slinking through the woods and, you know, I start picking up where I think this buck is bedding and I'm moving. So I'm creeping, trying to get really close to the bed, you know, and I, I wind up crossing paths with them, you know? Right. And that's happened like four or five times now. So it wasn't just like a fluke. Well, and I think it's probably also important to mention, like maybe have you talk a little bit about like, what, what is your pace as you're doing this? Because I know me, I I'm always blowing through the woods. I'm always going a hundred miles an hour. So are you, what, what kind of pace are you holding? Are you, are you going fast until you think you're in the area? Are you automatically going slow right after you find that track or, or well, how are you going about it? From, from all, all my years of scouting and identify, identifying bedding areas and stuff, I really can look at the woods and read it and tell when I'm getting into a situation where they're going to be bedding around, you know, mm-hmm. and once I feel like I'm getting close to a bedding area, I put it on really slow. Right. You know, I'm, I'm moving, like, I'll, I'll take a step every 10 minutes slow. So it's basically based off experience and time being in the woods that you know when you need to start slowing down. Yeah, like, you'll see, you'll see like, browsing. If you see a lot of browsing in an area, like, you know that there's probably bedding nearby because that's usually when there's a concentration of browsing. You're getting close to bedding areas, you know. Yeah. You, it, you know, use the terrain stuff like that it's funny because i i know you've done it and been successful in it so it kind of makes it sound like i mean it's, it sounds like it's easy for you when you talk about it but i just know from tracking on snow i mean it's basically the same thing and we have just as hard time doing it on snow so i can't even imagine yeah. doing it on bare ground yeah well if you saw the amount of bucks i've jumped over the years compared to the ones i shot <laughs> yeah. like i wouldn't look that good you know <laughs> Yeah, but the fact that you're even getting close enough to, to catch them coming out of their bed says yeah. something in and of but, itself. But even then, like, how many times do you get that situation with a gun and then you wind up shooting at 25, 30 yards anyway? You right, know, right. You just got a bow. You just got to be confident that you can shoot them with it. No, that that is that's very impressive, you know, especially on bare ground. That death creep that you're talking about, you know, and having the discipline and the patience to to be one step every ten minutes, that's a skill in and of itself. It really is. And like yeah. my brother was just yeah, saying, we struggle with I that. I mean, I, I hunt I hunt all day when I go out, you know. So I I'm not going anywhere. I got no race to get somewhere. Right. I'm not I'm not I don't have a specific destination that I want to get to. You know, I'm just, if I got, if I feel like I got to go slow, I slow it down. It's like you're, it's tracking and still hunting at the same time. You know, you just, you can't, you can't catch up to deer. Right. Unless they turn around and come back at you, then you got them, you know, but. So I know you had mentioned uh, it kind of changes the game a little bit when the leaves are crunchy and stuff. Are you still doing that when the leaves are crunchy? Are you changing your tactics a little bit when when that happens? I'm a lot of times like I'm going to be going off of like like what I've been finding over the days I've been hunting, you know. So like if if it's a bad day for picking up tracks or something, I'm going to be more focused on 
the stuff that I found while I was moving, you know, cause like as you're going, you should be scouting, you know? Right. And like, I'll, I'll be picking like, Oh, I could set up in this tree over here. This is a good spot to set up. You know, oh, if I, if I came in here in the morning, I could probably get a crack of a deer in the morning over here the way this sets up, you know, and you just kind of build up this inventory of different things you can do throughout the week, you know, and that's, that's basically how I'm doing it, you know? So like, there's no like rhyme or time frame when I kill a deer, it just happens, you know, through, right. throughout the season. Like I, I'm not like a guy that's like, Oh, I can. I'm only killing deer in the afternoon, coming off of beds or something. I, I'll kill. I kill deer at seven o'clock in the morning. I kill deer at noon time. I've killed deer at dark. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's you just know? it's just such a unique way of, of going about it. And, and it's funny you say you know you hunt all day because usually when you, when you hear guys talking, they aren't hunting all day until that ruck kicks on. So yeah. <laughs> you're out there doing the early season. It's, it's really yeah. Really cool and I, and I'm doing. Unique. I'm even doing it in September, like. I'm, we got the September opener around here. I mean, I'm out all day. It's 95 degrees out. Right. You know, I'm still out. You know, I'm, I might be changing. I might be glassing over bedding areas, watching ridges. I'm doing something. I'm staying, I'm staying in the woods because, you know, the deer, deer get up and move. You know, they don't always just stay in one spot. They'll get up and shift around in their beds and stuff, you know. And that's, that's a big thing people don't realize how much a deer actually does move inside its core area in daylight they're not moving far but they're getting up and moving and right. if you're in that if you're in that general area tight you might get an opportunity we rely so much on the visual aspect of deer movement and hunting in general that i think that's such an overlooked piece especially mm -hmm. early season the fact that you know it's not just you that that's out there saying i mean these scientific studies that are coming out year after year now are all saying the same thing that Deer movement yeah. throughout the day, day in and day out. I mean, really, it just it reiterates the fact that we need to be out there at any given point in the season. If the season's open, why not spend the entire day out there? Yeah. Yeah, anytime you got time to go, you just go, you know. And no, uh, the, more, the more you hunt off, off times of the year, the better you get at it. You Absolutely. Know, you Absolutely. You learn things. Repetition. So – was it last year? I think I heard a story. Last year, you were in Ohio, and you actually managed to track a true giant back to his back to his bedroom, and maybe even potentially got a crack at him. Is that? Am I remembering that right? Well, I I I was I figured out where he was probably betting, and Stu. Oh, you still there, Paul? And everybody oh and hey sorry you, you broke up there for a second well yeah well i i was following i found that deer and i was tracking him back through a through a big drainage system and i'm here i am lecturing everybody how you got to stay in the woods and everything and that was the one day i got back up and went out to my car to get something to eat <laughs> that's how it happens <laughs> and i i literally i came back into the woods there and that buck was trailing a doe right through what I just scouted falling up to that bed. It, all the sign was hot and I turned around and I left it. So and, you had found the sign prior to going back to your car is what you're saying? Yeah, I, I found the sign from the road. Okay, gotcha. 
and I was I was following it back in, and I followed it back in like a mile, you know. And here I am. I turn I turned around because I'm like, man, I forgot to get lunch. I'm gonna get something to eat, and I'm gonna come right back in. And stupid me, you know. <laughs> if I had had I just set up on it like I was intending to, I would have had the deer on the ground, you know. But we we met face to face. And you ain't getting a crack off with a bow, right? At a, at a, yeah, at a giant buck looking at you, <laughs> you know. Oh, um, I didn't realize you were still on the ground. I, I thought you might have even been in a tree. No, I wasn't even in a tree yet. No, I was on the ground. We were we were eyeballing each other. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a tough one to swallow. But that's like I I do it. I the year before. I had the same situation and I set up on it and it was like a pouring rainstorm. And I would track, I tracked the track the deer back through this, through this bottom. And I figured out I could, I all of a sudden I, I see where he hit a scrape and I could see where he went up one of the Hills. I could see where he was skidding up the Hill to get up the Hill. I'm like, that sucker's bedded right above me up here. You know? And I, I, I set up on him in the pouring rain and around three o'clock, all of a sudden, I look over my shoulder, and here he comes, coming down. But I had uh, a little mishap, and I missed him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but that that was another. That was a real big buck. That was another one. that was like one sixties, you know. Oh, oh painful. <laughs> but. You know. So this year, I mean, I I know you hunt Ohio, obviously PA, New Jersey, but. You said you're planning on making a trip to the Adirondacks. Is that correct? Yeah, that's uh, we're trying to because we're we're going to be in uh, Ohio in November, but I want to get up to the Adirondacks for the last week. That's that's what we're trying trying to do. Me and my buddy, my buddy likes hunting up there. He goes up every year, and he's always up there tracking and stuff. Yeah. Well, you guys yep. are going to be timing it perfectly. I mean, that is the yep. that is when the snow is there. There's almost yep. you're almost guaranteed to have snow somewhere that last week of the rifle season. Yeah, that that's really like the only gun hunting I really like doing anymore is if I can get up there and do it like that. Right. Yeah. You know. Does your buddy hunt up there year in and year out, or is he uh, just every once in a while coming up north here? He he tries to get up there every year. He try he tries to get up there when it's snowing every year, at least at least for a weekend or a couple of days. Well, so. I'd love to see, you know, you know, obviously how you guys do during uh the late season there, but moving forward, you know, in years to come, I'd I'd love to see you come up here with a bow and maybe turn up some stones and, and really uh open up some eyes to what the potential is here. Yeah. I, I think it would I think it's totally doable. I think I just I gotta get up. I think the best time for me to get one up there with a bow is going to be early right we don't have i mean as you know probably know we don't have that early early september season but we have that late september and honestly it seems like a lot of the deer even in the the portions of of the state outside of the adirondack park they still sometimes tend to hold a pattern well enough to to be able Mm -hmm. to implement some of the tactics that you have going yep yeah exactly i think that's what's going to come down to i'm going to have to find one in like a hub like that and kill one in that hub situation dropping down like when he like if he's as soon as those scrapes start hitting in that hub is when you really got to be there you know 
Mm. Oh, I'm hoping, you know, this year moving forward too, like there's some areas that I have in mind that I don't know as if the scrapes are opening up that early, but definitely into early muzzleloader, we're seeing that sign pop up. I, I would love yep. to try to implement some of this stuff you're talking about. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what I've, I've seen when I've been up there with the muzzleloader too, is that's right around the scrapes are starting. They're getting all fired up, but it's not like the does are ready yet, but you get a cold snap and they're all fired up. And it seems like we're almost guaranteed that one good cold snap between like the 15th to 25th, somewhere in that time frame. Yep. If there's not one, maybe yeah, even two. Yeah, it was the 20th this last year. It just blew up. Oh, yeah. Every the camera was just on fire. <laughs> Daylight yep. monsters. And those big bucks are stupid right then. Oh, yeah. That, that first one that makes them dumb. They'll be so dumb for like susceptible a to the two. scrape. No. You, you can get away with a lot that time of year. You could just accidentally make the wrong noise and he'll come down and investigate it. Right. You know? Now, uh, now, now, Paul, um, with you saying you're coming up here to track, how do you, how would you start your day and how would you roll through a day of hunting? Now, you're saying that you scout going in to different areas. Um, yep. That's not always the case up here, you know, with you being out of state and stuff like that. How would you pick apart an area and, you know, plan a day? Well, I, I don't get up there and hunt enough, but I do get up there a lot in the summertime and I go hiking and I'm scouting up there when I'm up there. You know, so I, I have a lot of areas that I know that are going to be good. And I have a lot of places that were always consistently good over the years with the family that I can use, you know. So, like, we have our spots where we know we can get up there and get on deer. Well, well I guess we'll put you in this scenario. If if you were to go to somewhere where you've never been before, how how would you go about hunting a deer using the tactics that, you know, we've kind of talked about so far. The, the first, the first thing I'm going to do is start looking at maps, right? Finding those you know, hubs, finding say. those hubs, finding those, find those features where it's going to funnel, funnel deer down. So I can go in and start picking up sign, you know, and then I can start working it out. Right. Well, that brings yeah. up something I wanted to mention as well. And I think I heard you mention it on another podcast about, how you notice most of these bucks, which I think especially guys that track have noticed, they're J-hooking into their bed nine times out of ten. How, yep. how are you overcoming that J-hook, particularly when you're tracking on the snow? Because a lot of the times, you know, on, on a personal level, I'm getting beat by that J-hook. You know, I'm falling right into the trap. I'm walking right down below yep. them. And, and we know, too, that, you know, based off the how they're bedding in these hubs and over these scrapes, they're using visuals just as much as they are their, their nose. Yeah, that that's that's a tricky one because you know they're watching their backtrack a lot of times when they're starting that Jayhawk, you know. So like, once you feel like you're into a spot where you think you're going to see them bed, instead of staying on the track, you might be better off getting off of it and creeping around and trying to get out of out of that track because if you're standing where his tracks are, he's going to be looking at it. it. You know, I was I was kind of hoping you'd say that because like. You hear both ends of the, the spectrum when it comes to tracking. You know, you have your guys that are hardcore about just staying right on the track. They're do or die by it. You know, whatever happens, happens. And then there's there's some other guys, you know, not many, but some that are 
they'll say they'll swing on it. You know, they'll, they'll take the high side and, you know, hope to pick them up in the next drainage yeah. or on the next yeah. side of the mountain. But, you well, know, we, I don't we have had the, uh, we had the advantage over the old school thought process because we have phones with maps on them. Yes. Yeah. And that's why, you know, that's why I was, you know, so excited to get you on the podcast here is because you're taking, you know, traditional woodsman skills, you know, whether it be bare ground with snow, whatever the case may be, these traditional woodman skills and using the modern technology and really bringing to light, you know, ways that are truly effective to kill these deer regularly. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And you're combining those two and it, it gets really lethal at that point. It's, yeah, I mean, your, your track record shows. And I mean, while we're on, while we're talking about this for anybody that, that doesn't know Paul or hasn't seen his social media, you know, just give him a like and follow and you'll see that this guy is, this guy's a killer. You know, he's killed a lot of giant bucks in a lot of different parts of the country and areas that are very similar to what Mm -hmm. we're talking about here in the Adirondacks in the Northeast. And And that's why we were so drawn, you know, when we, when we first heard about your stuff, Paul, and started listening to you because we were like, Oh my God, this guy's opening doors that we didn't even know we could open. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's I'm I'm excited over this too because a lot of the guys that are doing the bow hunting thing should really be getting more involved in the tracking aspect of it because they mesh so well and it becomes really lethal when you can know both. You know, because you can you can play off of each one to make yourself better. You know, you can use you can use all these tactics with either one. Now I've got a question for you, Paul. This is. Something I've heard, I've, I listen to a lot of podcasts and um, driving around and stuff. And, you know, you listen to the tracker podcasts and you'll get a lot of trackers that'll say here in the Northeast, you know, oh, I think you could find a buck's bed or a bedding, even a bedding area. They just, they just lay down wherever they want. And, uh, and then you have guys like yourself that are like, oh no, there's definitely, you know, areas yeah. to focus on. Well, but I wonder well, if like up in Maine, I hear that a lot and Maine is one of those you know it's all flat there's not you know cut up with roads yeah it's cut up with roads i just wonder what your thoughts are on that like i do think yeah sure sometimes i I think i think there's some truth to that Mm -hmm. because during the time when you're tracking deer they're seeking does Mm -hmm. so they're not in their normal course yeah that's a great if you're if you're hunting the tail end of that or the beginning of that, you're hunting bedded bucks and in their bedding areas where they live 90% okay. of the year. That's really helpful. Very helpful. Yeah. So, so situational to the timing of the season. Yep, exactly. So like they'll, they'll be running mad and laying down wherever they can when they get tired and feeding when they're hungry during the rut. But outside the rut, they're living they're, they got uh, they got other things on their mind. Yeah, they're just surviving. Yeah. <laughs> they're just trying to survive. Yeah, and yep. it, and it's, a- it's no mistake that they end up in a lot of these areas where we're finding, you know, later season we're finding the sheds. Early season we're finding the the sign that says that they're spending a lot of time in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that that's why I focus around here. Like if I'm hunting Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, I'm hunting that that earlier like that earlier pattern when they're still in their core areas. And then once they're really seeking hard, I'm moving to States like Ohio where there's a ton more deer and a lot more big ones running around where it's more, you could find a good spot and set up and 
you can get a random giant to come through because it's it's you you got to stack it's all percentages you know if you're you're in a low percentage area you're gonna sit you can sit all the whole rut in the Adirondacks and never see a deer <laughs> right <laughs> unfortunately yeah. that is the, the truth with our deer densities <laughs> you know but if you're hunting a deer when they're not moving and you're putting yourself real tight to where they live you're gonna have a higher percentage of seeing that deer at that time oh that's a great point great point another question i had for you um I know you don't run a ton of trail cameras anymore, at least, but at least from what I've heard, is that correct? I I run cameras for like September hunting and stuff. I'll run them in the summer. Yeah. I'll use them on patterns like that. But other than that, I'm not really going crazy with them anymore. Yeah. So one of the things I, I tend to have pretty limited time to hunt. So I, I try to get as many eyes in the woods as I can, just monitoring annual you know primary scrape activity and uh, a couple years ago i killed a buck to the date you know mature adirondack buck hitting the same very good scrape yeah you know every every year on the the 16th of november he was coming through that area now one year it was 3 a.m in the morning but i said you know I maybe this year it's colder this year. Uh, so in, I think it was 2020. Yeah. 20, yeah. 2020 or 2021, I guess it was, you know, I sat there and at six forty-five or seven o'clock AM, I, uh, I whacked him, you know, following the same doe yep. who, who had actually blown at me <laughs> as the year before. So I, I just curious what your thoughts are on that. I know it can be a little dicey with food shifting and stuff, but in areas where there's not a lot of food, you know, um, you know, changing mass crops and everything consistent, oh, they, more consistent. Have you found that over your years that, you know, doe groups uh, turn on at the same time? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's consistent. That's, I never, that, that's one thing I will not do is shoot does that I know what cycles they're on. <laughs> Don't shoot mama. <laughs> yeah. You know? Whack the fawn. Uh, all right. Well, do you guys have anything else? Uh, any more questions that you had, or Man, I could probably just talk. All I know we could. We could talk. wants some Ohio advice. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's going to Ohio. Well, and he wants... I can I chat you up about that <laughs> yeah, through text yeah. ball. We don't have to do that here. But I, uh, I, I appreciate you coming on. I want to speak on behalf of everybody here. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know you love talking hunting. We certainly do too. And this is just scratching the surface of probably what we could talk yeah. about. Yeah, we are uh, we are super eager uh, to you know put some of this to the test this coming season, and we'll be listening to any other podcast you're on or or any more information you're coming out with. Yeah, yeah, and you got to get some more guys on like me that you can translate over to keep this going. Yeah, definitely. We've, we we love the modern aspect that you're bringing. You know, you're bringing to the table here. You know, and not and I'm not. I want to speak and say that you know I'm not trying to discredit any of the guys that have been doing this for a lot longer than we have because obviously there's yep. plenty of people that have success. However, with that being said, you know, you're coming at it with a fresh point of view that I think is beyond applicable for what we're doing here, you know, in, in the mountains that we're hunting. Yep. And that's, I'm, I'm always building, you know, I'm building off of that. I, I listen to podcasts as much as I talk on them, you know. Absolutely. I mean, you know that, you, you know, we, as much as we need to adapt, the deer are adapting just as much. Yep. Yeah. He is constantly evolving because, 
you know, all, all these tactics too. You got to remember everything you talk about on these podcasts is becoming popular too. <laughs> right. Oh, it right. absolutely and, is. And, and this, so that's going to put pressure on some of these topics. Well, you know, and, 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 just, and this general topic that we're kind of been talking about the, the whole hubs, thermal hubs thing is, you know, it's been around. People have definitely talked about it, but I really think like it's, just starting to come to light a little bit and more and more people are starting to grab onto it. What do you, do, would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. And you offer it in such a simplistic way too, that, you know, as much as, you know, I look at like what a lot of the old timers say, or a lot of the stories that you hear like, Oh, this is a really good area, blah, 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 blah. Well, yeah, it's a good area. We know it's a good area, but you're answering the why to a lot mm-hmm. of those questions. Yep. So, Needless to say, we appreciate it. You know, um, this year moving forward, I I can't wait for you to come up here to the, the Adirondacks and see what you turn up. I'm hoping that uh, you find the success you're looking for, and we can get back together and talk about it. Yeah, and when yeah. you and when you come up, come up, let us know. Maybe we'll uh, we'll be in the area or something. We'll be able to sit down and have some dinner or something. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, Paul. We appreciate it, man. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll stay man, in touch with you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll, we'll just stay in touch, Paul. Yep. All right, guys. That will uh, wrap it up. That was Paul Patera. Um, greatly appreciate him coming on and talking to us. As always, go give us a follow and like on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all under Adirondack Bucks and Beyond, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>